I suppose we all have challenges to face. As children, we're either too short or too tall, maybe too fat or too skinny. Someone else is always smarter or faster or even more popular. As adults, we're either too young or too old, too inexperienced or too overqualified, too busy or too alone. Sometimes it's more serious than that. We carry the baggage maybe of being abused in some unfair way. We worry about how to pay the bills. We grieve over the loss of someone close. We agonize over a rebellious child. Or we can face an uncertain future journeying with illness. We all experience disappointments and failures which are often beyond our own control. We get frustrated, impatient, and angry at the way that life has treated us. We may then even become resentful and bitter. Then there are those. There are those of us who seem to have it all together. While on the inside, we wonder why life seems so empty and meaningless. Maybe we can't put our finger on it. We just know that something is missing. But this is usually a temporary state. What with so many distractions around us? As Neil Postman says, thanks to our culture, we can easily amuse ourselves to death. Then for many of us, I suspect, we're so accustomed to our predictable, safe pattern of living that we become unaware there's more to which God is calling us. We get so accustomed to the familiar. Whatever pain we carry, maybe this morning seems slightly insignificant compared to the man who we have encountered in John's gospel. Here is a man who has been an invalid for 38 years. So before we get into what the story is saying to us, why don't we just paint an overall impression of the situation before unpacking it a little further? The biblical story tells us that Jesus came to Jerusalem because he wanted to join a religious feast. Maybe the feast commemorating the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Jerusalem, the place where the temple is located and where the presence of God, and is the place where the presence of God can nowhere be experienced better. Here is the place where the tabernacle with the tables of the covenant are kept safe. In this city, Jesus comes to a place where the hope of healing drew a lot of sick people. This is a special pool that we encounter in John chapter 5, the pool of Bethsaida. The Aramaic word bet means house, and the word heset means mercy. So here we have at the pool of Bethsaida, the house of mercy. Picture in your mind's eye, if you will, this morning, a battleground strewn with wounded bodies, and there you see Bethsaida. Imagine a nursing home overcrowded and understaffed, and you can see the pool. 
call to mind the orphans of Bangladesh or the abandoned in New Delhi, and there you'll see what people saw as they passed the pool. And as they passed, what did they hear? An endless wave of groans. What did they witness? They witnessed a field of faceless need. And what did they do? Most people walked past, ignoring the people. But not Jesus. He's in Jerusalem for a feast. He's alone. He's not there to teach the disciples or even to draw a crowd. The people needed him, so he's there. Can you picture it? Jesus walking among the suffering. What's he thinking when an infected hand touches his ankle? What does he do when a blind child stumbles in his path? Does he reach down and catch the child? When a wrinkled hand extends for alms, how does Jesus respond? How does God fail when people hurt? The story that we have read this morning in John chapter 5 is worth telling even if all we do is just watch Jesus walk by. It's worth it just to note that he came. He didn't have to. Surely there would have been more sanitary crowds in Jerusalem. Surely there are more enjoyable activities. After all, this is the Passover feast. It's an exciting time in the holy city. People have come from miles around to meet God in the temple, and little do they know that God is walking with the sick. Slowly, stepping carefully between the beggars and the blind, we find the word made flesh. Little do people know as they worship in the temple that the strong young carpenter who surveys the ragged landscape around him sees the pain of his heavenly father. We read in Isaiah 63 and verse 9, when they suffered, he suffered also. On this day, as Jesus comes to this pool, Jesus must have suffered much On this day, Jesus must have sighed often as he walked by the poolside. We've all heard it said that there's no such thing as a dumb question. And then I grab my Bible and I read through the stories of Jesus' life. And to be honest, there's times when I read the accounts of his curious interactions with people and wonder what was going through his mind when he posed questions to individuals. One such of those instances is here in John chapter 5. To begin with, this man is lame. And lame in biblical times wasn't a way of saying he wasn't cool. It means in the most literal sense that he couldn't walk. We discover that he has been that way for 38 years. This man was more than dependent on the mercy of others. We also find out that he spends most of his time lying by the pool. However, unlike us on holiday, he's not looking for a tan. He's here hoping to be healed. 
Because this pool, as we have mentioned, was known for its healing power. The Bible tells us that an angel would stir the waters of the pool at any random time and heal the first person to enter it. This lame man, because he couldn't walk, was literally pushed aside by the last lame. Enter Jesus. Jesus opens his mouth and utters what can only seem like one of those dumb questions I referred to earlier. A man who's been lame for 38 years and Jesus says to him, do you want to get well? Every time I read this, I wonder what in the world Jesus was thinking. Then my mind wanders to this lame man, and I put myself in his shoes, or probably more literally in his sandals, and I can't help think that after laying there day in and day out, this man would have made some kind of smart remark. No, Jesus, I can actually walk. My friends and family just carry me here so I can pick up the ladies. The sympathy vote kind of works wonders. Of course, I want to be healed. I cannot walk. I've been this way for 38 years. But then the more that I look at this story and examine what's going on, I can't help but feel that there's something going on here that doesn't meet the eye in a first reading. Given the fact that Jesus is God in the flesh, and the circumstances made the answer to his question quite obvious, I can only conclude that Jesus was talking about something not so obvious. Because you see, God doesn't ask questions because he lacks the information. Let's try to unpack that question a little by looking at it in a different light. Jesus was digging deeper and asking things like, do you really want things to change? Do you really want things to change? Nights without stars, days without sunshine, you keep looking for a ray of hope to hold on to, but you pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and another crisis Another disappointment knocks you to the ground. And then what do you do? Where do you turn? How do you get out of it? Sometimes all of us like to be victims. Because as long as we are the victim, we can get away with the pity parties and the blaming others. We get to rehearse again and again the list of people who are keeping us from getting ahead. Meanwhile, we don't have to take responsibility for our own lives. Sometimes healing means that we have to change, and that is scary. This morning, the answer isn't found in bartering with God. The answer isn't found in completing some kind of checklist. The answer isn't found in making a choice. The answer is found in making a choice. Choosing to concentrate on the hurt or choosing to have faith in the healer. To hide in the shadows of hurt or to walk in the light with the Savior. This morning, what will our choice be? Do you want to be well? Do you want things to change? Someone has said this, people who are in prison function, but they aren't 
free. We have to become careful that we don't get so accustomed to being broken that we just learn to live with it and stop dreaming of something bigger. This morning, am I? This morning, are you, as we lie beside the pools of Bethsaida, are we ready for things to change? Are we ready to leave behind all the excuses? Can we handle the responsibility that might just come if we are healed? Because being healed changes everything. Sometimes our healing comes with a price tag. The question then becomes, are we willing to pay the cost? Are we willing to do what it takes? I wonder if many of us want to be healed, but we're not just ready for the change that it might bring. Believe it or not, there are many people who do want to be healed. Their ailments have come to define who they are. They don't want divine help with their problems. They don't want to be helped out of their weakness. They're used to thriving on the sympathy and pity of others. Healing changes everything. Do you want to be healed? Do you really want the responsibility of that promotion you've been longing for? Or is it more comfortable to complain about your current workload and the money you're paid? Are you ready for the sacrifice of being in community or starting a relationship? Or are you used to the self-pity of being alone? Do you really want to forgive that person and move on? Or is it easier to distance yourself from the pain they once caused you? Are you willing this morning to change your lifestyle habits Or will that take too much energy to quit your unhealthy routines? As Jesus points out in a roundabout way, you can't help someone this morning who doesn't want to be helped. So the question remains, do you, do I want to be healed? A simple word of command from Jesus, give life to limbs that had been 38 years lifeless. But notice the turn in the story. It was the Sabbath day when this man was healed. The Sabbath day when he walked through the town carrying his mat. The Sabbath day as he walked towards the temple, perhaps for the first time ever. And the religious, what do the religious do in the story? Well, they're annoyed. Because they have a book and they have a verse that says, you're breaking the law. And they accuse the man. The man tells them that he's carrying his mat because he had been healed. And that the man who healed him had told him to take his mat and go. And eventually when the Jewish leaders discovered that it was Jesus who healed the man, they wasted no time in finding him at fault. We read in verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. And how does Jesus respond? Simply by saying this, you diligently studied the scriptures. Well, at least they've got that bit right. Not only did they study the scriptures, they were diligent 
in their study of them. Moreover, they studied them because they believed that they contained the key to eternal life. In this case, they had got it spot on. Jesus is not criticizing them for their study of the Scripture. For this, they were to be commanded. But for all their study, for all their sight, these men are blind. For all their reading of the Scriptures, they cannot recognize the work of God when it's right in front of their eyes. They cannot see what John so wonderfully describes at the beginning of this gospel, the word by which the world was made, the word which brought life into being, God's word which had been at work throughout all the ages, the word spoken to Abraham, spoken through Moses and the prophets, accomplishing what it declared, that the word was now made flesh and is standing there right in front of them. This is God at work to accomplish his purposes, and they just can't see it. This morning, can we see it? Are we so caught up in studying and cross-referencing and making sure we've crossed every I, sorry, every T, and dotted every I, that when Jesus in flesh comes and speaks into a situation that we're encountering, that we just cannot see it? We're oblivious to His presence. These people, the religious leaders in John chapter 5, had divined themselves by the stories they told themselves about themselves. It wasn't that these Jewish leaders had got the reading of the Scripture entirely wrong. Rather, they were partially blinded by their own views and self-understanding. This morning, as we leave here as a people of faith, as a community of faith, to go back out into the world, to be salt and light, to bring Jesus in that flesh form to the communities that we live and work in. As we go from here and walk down Botanic, as we go from here and do whatever lies ahead this afternoon, are we going to be blind to what Jesus is really saying to us? Or are we going to take him at face value and live out exactly what he's saying to us? As we leave here in our brokenness in which we came in, are we going to wallow in that brokenness? Or are we going to respond to Jesus' question, yes, I want to be healed. Because as we read the story of the man by the pool, we quickly discover that when Jesus asks that question, the first thing to utter, utter from his mouth is an excuse not to be healed. He's no one to take him to the water. This morning, what excuses are holding you back? What excuses are holding me back? When Jesus comes to us and asks us, do we want to be healed? This morning, let's not give an excuse. Rather, let us surrender to him and see in that surrendering where he takes us. The blind man, or sorry, the, the lame man at the pool of Bethsaida. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we read in John's gospel this morning, once again, we're astonished that you would leave the realms of glory and come to earth and walk amongst us. 
Not only that you would walk amongst us, but that you would see us in our brokenness. That you would see us in our pain and our anguish and draw alongside us. We thank you that when you come to us, you never leave us the same. Something always changes. As we gather as a body of believers or stumblers after Jesus here this morning, Father, we pray that if you are asking us that question, do we want to be healed? That we have the courage to just step up to the plate. Not to make excuses, not to shy away, but in that encounter with you that we could be rawly honest and say yes. Yes, I do want you to transform my life. Yes, I do want you to change that thing I've been struggling with. Yes, please help me get rid of that hurt. Yes, please help me forgive. Father, we know all things are possible through you. So we pray that you would be the answer to our prayers and that day by day you would renew our minds and renew our spirits and renew our hearts that we may be more receptive to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.